My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us today. If you got your Bibles, let's head over to Philippians chapter 3, and we will uh, jump in in just a minute. Um, I have some extra stuff up here with me today. So uh, it's a book you have and have not seen before. So how about that? Uh, so this is the second edition of Grudem's Systematic Theology. So uh, he actually cleaned up a few things that were fuzzy and dug in a little deeper on a few areas. And it's, uh, it's actually a much nicer book. So good to see that. But we'll start with uh, reading Philippians chapter 3. I'll read all the way through chapter 3. Uh, and then we'll start in the green book, the new green book, on page uh, 19. So, Philippians chapter 3. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, Boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. 
Philippians 3 and a little of 4. So, if you've got page uh, 19, open up in your green book. We'll start there. Uh, so just to give you a preview of what I hope to get through today, uh, because boy, oh boy, is there a special treat next week. So your, your preview, does anybody know, does any, let me rephrase it, does any guy know what next Sunday is? It's Mother's Day, that's exactly right. This is your seven-day warning, gentlemen. <laughs> okay, so we got to get this right. Seven-day heads up. And who teaches us on Mother's Day? Amy Velosen, that's right. And she will be here, Lord willing. So we're excited about that. I got to have a great conversation with her last week about where to stop and where to go and all of this. So I'm going to try to cover the first verse and then watch out because this is actually a really important phrase. So in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. So we're going to hang out here on these two words, this in addition for actually longer than a hot minute, maybe two hot minutes. So on page 19 starts our Greek. Uh, again, you'll notice, and I pointed this out last week as well, but that, that first verse there in the Greek is its own paragraph. And then verses 2 through 11 are another paragraph. In the CSB on page 20, the first verse is its own uh, paragraph. And then verses 2 through 6 are a paragraph, and then 7 through 10 are a paragraph. Uh, so let's jump to page 22, if you've got it in your green books. <clears throat> so page 22, it says, in addition. So this word for addition uh, is a really interesting word. Uh, it's the Greek word uh, loipan. Uh, and Strong's Concordance says it means something remaining. So if you... If you look at where we are in Philippians, would you agree there is something remaining in Philippians? Yes, all right, great. Uh, however, that is not all that word means. There's substantially more than this to it. Uh, different translations translate this different ways. Uh, the NLT... translates it, whatever happens. Uh, the ESV, the KGV, KJV, NKJV, New American Standard even, translates it as finally. Uh, CSB says in addition, and the NIV comes in hot with further, which is actually kind of cool. Uh, so what I want to lean into when we see a word that, that has a, a big range uh, I also wanted to look at uh, the BDAG. This is kind of our gold standard for definitions. So, so there are three major definitions for this word. This is the third part of the third one. So if you've ever looked in a dictionary and you saw like six definitions for a word, and then the fourth definition has a couple different ways, like this resource does this as well. But there is a special call-out just for Philippians 3.1 in this book because it is such a special use case. So this is a, it's an interesting thing. So as, as a transition to something new, so what I want to lean into the concept today for just a second is semantic range. And you've heard me say this word before, this phrase before, semantic range. So we're just going we're gonna to practice and we'll show you kind of what this word means in English, so semantic range. So when I say the word trunk, what comes to mind? 
back into the car, great. An elephant's uh, proboscis, there you go, great. You, the central part of your body, excellent, great. So that's three. A suitcase, that's four, good. There you go. Did anybody know that an uplink to a more senior data switch was called a trunk? Uh, what's the second word that sometimes accompanies it? Trunk line. Is that a different thing technically? There you go. Five. A tree. Yes, thank you. I was like, is somebody going to say the big brown thing with leaves that are coming out of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to dig into uh, to your uh, definition. You said the central part of a body, right? Do you know that an insect's thorax is also called the trunk? There you go. So this one word has, you're like, what in the world? So how could we ever know which one of those definitions to use? Like, how do we, how do we know? What? I heard the word. Context. And in the, in the space of Bible study, what's the phrase that you have heard relative to Bible study? Context is king. Yes. All right. I've got my new favorite quote for Bible study that's coming up on this next slide. And this is the most terrible picture of a human being that has ever been taken. So I apologize. I could, I'm trying to do this guy right. This is the picture he has on his college's website. So I just... I feel like they surprised him. I don't know that he, he knew that it was coming. And we've all had like yearbook pictures like this. Right? I mean, I did. I had a lot of them, which is why those don't exist anymore. But he wrote this beautiful article, uh, article on Logos.com. He says, if context in king, is king, then semantic range is parliament. Because semantic range represents the will of the people. Like this is, this is the space that we are all in. And I thought, that is the geekiest, coolest thing I have ever written. Like, that is just really, really nice. So, so in this space, we want to ask the question, where are we in Philippians? So if you just, if you like, stretched all the words out in one big, long sentence, we are basically smack dab in the middle of Philippians, right? We just started chapter 3. It's got four chapters. That's the middle of the book. So should we translate this then? as finally, prob probably not, unless this is the end of a specific argument that Paul is making, that he's going to pick something else up. So now we step back and we go, all right, well, well then we probably ought to think for a second about the structure of Philippians and where Paul is in his argument. So I went through uh, all my resources uh, yesterday, in fact, in this crazy tangential thought popped in my head and said how do each one of the commentators that show the structure of Philippians how do they lay it out so I'm going to go from like buddy you mailed it in to whoa all right so that's the progression here so the first one that you see uh, this is Hawthorne and Martin uh, they call chapter three a digression I was like, that, that was exact, my face, I can always count on Shanda, for my exact facial expression, she went, no, no, come on, come on. It, it, it might be a digression, but you certainly wouldn't start a digression with finally. Like, that is, we're not doing that. All right, so then we come to Dr. Fee. Uh, Paul's affairs, the Philippians' affairs, what's next, their affairs again. 
I feel like this is, you're going to get a D in any class if you turn in an assignment with this little effort, right? I mean, this is, outlines were not Dr. Fee's thing. It's one of the reasons I love Dr. Fee, because he's not going to beat you to death with an outline when you go through his works. Uh, Dr. Hansen, now you'll notice that this is the first of two slides for Dr. Hansen, right? So these are the, uh, the first couple of things. So prayers for partners, reports of the gospel ministry, imperatives for citizens worthy of the gospel, disclosures of personal experience. You're like, all right, well, that's cool. Because that's, that's, that's what he's talking about in this space. But you don't really see the sequence of thought that Paul is working through. So Dr. Hellerman. Uh, and, and so now we're getting into the more technical, the more robust. And if you look at this, you're like, body of the letter. Well, of course it's the body of the letter, right? I mean, this is kind of, yeah. But on the next page, he's going to break the body out into its own subcategories. And this is a neat little transition that he uses. So summary exhortation to unity and steadfastness, unity among believers, steadfastness toward opponents. You see the transition here? So there's unity with us, and we're going to be steadfast as we... So you begin to see some structure around Paul's letter, and then final words of exhortation. And then probably my favorite is Dr. Harmon. Uh, and he does the exact same thing that Dr. Hellerman does with, we've got this big overarching outline. So living as kingdom citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel. All right, so when anybody does an outline, you have to use that many words that covers a lot of stuff, right? So, so we break into this a little bit. And inside one of those, he talks about Paul's co-workers, he talks about Paul himself, and then the call to imitate Paul and his co-workers, which I think really nicely connects these three thoughts. So do you see how we can have everything from... Uh, yeah, he's on a tangent. Like, this is, this is a commentator's way of saying squirrel, right? Uh, all the way to uh, comparing and contrasting sections, and then now we're going to link things up and see a thought all the way through. So I showed you all this, not to just show you a whole lot of uh, uh, pictures. I showed you all this so you could see how you view the larger work matters how you approach and translate certain words and where they are. Does that make sense? All right, cool. So, what should we do with this word here? I am not saying we always translate this word this way everywhere you see it because we're going to be talking about an elephant's proboscis at some point later in Philippians, right? <laughs> Philippians 4.8 that's my new favorite word is proboscis, by the way. Uh, Philippians 4.8 is this exact same word. And in 4.8, he says, finally, yeah, because we can see the runway. We're about to set this plane down, right? This makes sense to start beginning to use uh, words like that. So how do we use it? It's not whatever happens. This totally misses the point, which is what happens when you get to a paraphrase. Paraphrases are not trying to be specific and detailed. Paraphrases are trying to... Like, it, it mostly means this, right? What he mostly said was this. Uh, it's not finally, and I think in addition, and further is actually a really nice play on, depending on how you see the structure, uh, where it might be going. So, there you go. Okay, back to page 22. Uh, by the way, for those of you online, uh, something's gone wonky with my iPad. I can't see any comments today, so if you're commenting... Uh, thanks, but yeah, I'll see him in 30 minutes maybe. So there's that. Uh, sorry. So in addition, 
my brothers, remember the Greek word there is just brothers, but the CSB translates it brothers and sisters because it's not specifically honing in on just uh, males. So my brothers and sisters, rejoice. We've seen this word many times so far in Philippians. Uh, so this is a plural, present, active, imperative. And I would say, what does that mean? That means this is a group standing order to continue to be doing this. This is a command. But not just to rejoice. We have a specific relationship that drives and bounds and connects us and enables us to both rejoice with each other, but specifically rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to rejoice in the Lord. So application personalization down at the bottom of the page. Uh, we'll kind of go back to the one at the top with all the PowerPoint slides. Uh, application number one, structures. Uh, structure helps with translation. Structure helps with translation. So if you ever get, st if you're looking at a word, and you're like, well, what's a good way to look at this? Zoom back out, zoom back in, zoom back out, zoom back in. These are really helpful things. So structure helps with translation. So what do we do? Zoom in and out regularly. So zoom in and out regularly. This is the reason I start every lesson with reading the whole chapter. We're trying to make sure, because our hyper-focus on every individual word is guaranteed to miss bigger picture items <clears throat> if we don't zoom out on a regular basis. So that is, that is by design. Uh, and I don't think it's accidental that God's Word commands us to read Scripture to each other to help us to see these bigger pictures and themes as well. All right, so uh, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, page 23, to write to you again about this. All right, so let's brainstorm for here for just a second. To write to you again. What could that word again mean? What could it be referencing? Previous, what? Letter. Letter, good, great. What else could it be referencing? Previous topic, where? Like in Philippians, right? In the letter that we have, great. Anything else? Previous message, there you go. But this says specifically to write to you again, right? previous letter it's basically the the two big options here are is paul referring to philippians 1 and 2 or is paul referring to a prior letter to philippians now do we know prior letters to philippians existed yes how do we know this paphroditus right he's doing his back and forth so we've already established pre-existing communications between paul and the philippians so here's my question to you that i want you to noodle on why don't we have a Philippians 1 and a Philippians 2 in our Bibles like we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? What's that? We don't need it. Well, you sure? <laughs> there you go. I, you, you have landed in the right spot, Zeke. We don't need it. If it's not in there, it's not what? Canon. Yes, yes. All right. Our special word for the text of the scripture. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean on Dr. Grudem here for just a minute uh, and give you a couple of quotes because some people are looking for first Philippians and some people are looking for, uh, would argue that what we have is first 
Corinthians and 3rd Corinthians, and there's a, or what we have is 2nd Corinthians and 4th Corinthians, and what we should be looking for is 1st and 3rd. I got that right the second time, right? Okay, good. Because we know that there were other letters written to these churches. So let's define a couple of terms. So the canon, this is a page 39 on Grudem's uh, Systematic Theology. The canon of Scripture is the list of all the books that belong in the Bible. All right, so the development of New... I'm on page 47 now. The development of the New Testament canon begins with the writings of the apostles. Now, why do we say it begins with the writings of the apostles? Who did Jesus tell the Spirit will bring to mind all the things that I have told you? Who did Jesus give authority to on earth to guard the gospel itself, and to build out the church. He gave this to the apostles, right? So they should be aware of what is going on. They should have this well, right? So this is why the New Testament consists of the writings. Is on the top of the page 48. This is why the New Testament consists of the writings of the apostles. And then he's got a footnote. Why would he need a footnote after the sentence that says the New Testament consists of the writings of the apostles? We don't have all the writings, but also... Is everybody who wrote some part of the New Testament an apostle? Did we just finish a gospel by somebody who was not an apostle? Yeah. Who was sitting next to him while he wrote it, though? Peter. Was Peter an apostle? Yeah. See, Peter vouched for Mark. Who vouched for the gospel of Luke and Acts? Who hung out with Luke? Who traveled with Luke? Who went on missionary journeys with Luke? Paul, apostle, okay, who else we got? We got uh, Hebrews, who wrote Hebrews? We, 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 got some, we got some strong opinions, right? But the, the early church was so convinced that the author was either an apostle or had been vetted by an apostle because of the magnificent way our Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up and proclaimed with such clarity. They're like, yep, we're good. And then there's one more. There's one more little bitty book. Who else? No, Timothy would have hung out with Paul. Paul's good there. Jude, right? And uh, yes, and now who was Jude though? Jesus' brother, right? So, so if, if you're talking about Jesus' brother, are we pretty dead blame sure that he would have known some of the apostles? Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, good. All right, cool. So now that we've established that, so it is likely that the living apostles gave guidance to the churches concerning which works they intended to be preserved and used as Scripture in the church, right? This was their job, to hold fast to the gospel, to the words that, that God had given them. Uh, so this brings the question then, what happens, because there's still biblical archaeology going on right now. So what happens if we were to find Paul's earlier letter to Philippians? Should we say, oh, we've got a new book of the Bible? No, absolutely not. Because God preserves his word for his people. And the apostles would have communicated the significance of this other work to be bound up and taught 
to the churches and copied and copied and copied, like the thousands of other copies that we have of the different books in the New Testament. So we should rest assured that where Zeke, your very first comment, was so closely aligned with what Dr. Grudem wrote, the last sentence of this chapter, i got to read it. The canon of Scripture today is exactly what God wanted it to be and will stay that way until Christ returns. He fleshed it out a little bit, but like you, that's exactly right. Like We have the books that we're supposed to have. So if Paul is referring to the earlier stuff in Philippians, which I would argue the... The first part of Philippians 3.1, you could kind of get there. Uh, but but the, the later stuff is, is probably evidence for an earlier... Um, uh, I'm sorry, hang on, I've, I've gotten... Yeah, 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 there we go. Um, the earlier stuff here is, is to write to you again. You could very easily see this as earlier in Philippians. Uh, is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. This idea of these consistent themes, I, I don't know which one it is. I really don't. I don't know if he's referring to inside Philippians or prior. What do you think, Thesa? You about came out of your seat there. Fire away. Go for it. At what point in time did the Catholic Church add the extra canonical uh, can I say deuterocanonical? Cool. The Apocrypha. Is that what you're referring to? Yep. Uh, very, very early on. Um, however, the Jewish people did not view those apocryphal books as part of their Old Testament canon. Um, we have writings from Josephus in the 70s and the 80s AD that are like, no, we've had a list, and we've had a list since the list was ended with basically Micah. Um, and... Like, they had a closed canon. The, I'm going to give a bit of opinion here. Those, those other books come in because they align with theological positions that the specific denomination would support. So what do you typically do when you find evidence that supports your position? I'm going to hang on to that. That's good stuff for me, right? Absolutely. And, and I will, I'll be the first to confess. Palms up here. I'm telling you the truth. I like to do that too, <laughs> right? And I am very grateful that we live in a, a time in redemptive history where the canon is in fact closed and we can like, stop having that argument uh, to some degree. Uh, but yeah, there are all sorts of things. Uh, and can you define this and that? So this is the, the 66 books. What's the that? Uh, I don't know the answer to that one. I don't know the timeline on that. Uh, but there were, yes, absolutely. Yep. Yep. They affirmed, right, yeah, they affirmed what was, uh, what was canon and what was not. But the, the thing to remember is that nobody living at the time of Jesus or Paul or, uh, or, or John, even by 100 A.D., walked around with a single bound volume of the script like that did not exist one because like you just couldn't print it that way i mean the printing press enabled stuff like this to even exist um but 
you, you just you didn't have all of it together. So it would uh, one of this and one of this and one of this and one of this. It was um, I don't want to say a la carte, but kinda, um, you know. So is that helpful-ish in this way? But so let me let me ask you to fill in the blank on this sentence. The canon is clothed. Yes. Who's did, did you say it was that? Shen- okay. Let's try it again. The canon is. There we go. Excellent. Very good. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, um, <clears throat> So thank you, because you just led me right into our application and personalization at the bottom of the page. So application number one at the bottom of this page, we have the full and complete canon. Uh, Canon has uh, two N's, C-A-N-O-N. It's not spelled like the boom thing. Sorry, it's all the special effects you're getting today. We have the full and complete canon. Uh, And what I would encourage us to do is to focus on it. To focus on it. So when we th- see things that are helpful, that help us understand the canon, that's nice, that's nice, but they don't rise to the level of Scripture. So when I, when I read to you out of Dr. Grudem's Systematic Theology book, like, this is the Bible, this is Systematic Theology, like, ooh, which one should, it's this, and he would gladly tell you, throw this away. Like, it, it, this can be helpful at times, but I guarantee you there's stuff that's wrong in here. There is not one thing wrong in here. Like, this is God's very word. It's amazing, amazing that we have this. So we have the full and complete canon, so let's focus on it, no matter how cool the chosen is. All right, so to write to you again, I think I'm going to step on some toes there. All right, so to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. This word trouble, look at the definition there, tardy, indolent. I have to shove down every bit of redneck in me to enunciate that properly. Indolent. And then figuratively it means irksome, (laughs) which is probably the greatest word ever to describe a petulant three-year-old, right? It's just, it's irksome. (laughs) Like, you are irking me. This is, we should stop this, right? This, only, this word only shows up three times in the New Testament. It shows up in Matthew 25, 26, uh, that when it, uh, Jesus is describing an evil, lazy servant, so someone who is lazy and not uh, working well. It shows up in Romans 12, 11. Uh, Do not lack diligence in zeal. Like, be diligent in these areas. So this, is, this, this word, uh, it, it's, a, it's got a very lazy, slacking off, uh, like modern day would be, I'm looking at Jen, didn't do their homework, right? Just kind of mailing it like, yeah, all right. And, and Paul says, this is not that for me to do this again, right? So here's my application from that at the bottom. Application number two, uh, repetition is not all bad. Repetition is not all bad. This is good for us. So repetition is not all bad. So what do we do with that? Uh, repeat what needs to be repeated. Repeat 
what needs to be repeated. Repeat what needs to be repeated. Everybody hadn't looked up yet, so I'm just waiting on you. It's okay. I don't know that I've ever seen a better definition of what an elder's job is in the church than this. Like, just, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. On my good days, I need the gospel. On my bad days, I need the gospel. On the days when I'm not sure what's going on, I need the gospel. And we should be communicating this to each other regularly. And when we hear the gospel and go, ugh, this again? The problem is not the gospel. Right? Now, that's an instrument of righteousness. That is fantastic. Yes. I'm going to respond to Danny Slavich and say that because he, he's got a pretty good Twitter timeline. So there's that. All right. So repeat what needs to be repeated. So he says, this is not trouble. This is not laziness. This is not irksome for me. He likes doing this, right? It's kind of crazy. Uh, and is a safeguard. A safeguard. This word shows up just a few times in the New Testament. Um, and the, the idea here is that it is something secure. It is something unfailing. It is something that is going to uh, be consistently helpful. Um, it is going to be something that you can rely on. This is dependable. The author of Hebrews, whoever she was, said in chapter 6, verse 19, you, you got that, right? When talking about the, uh, uh, the inheriting the promise here, he says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Who enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain? The high priest. And who is the author of Hebrews referring to? In case you're not sure, verse 20, Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever. So the confidence that we have in Christ's future work is the word that is used here for safeguard. Like I, I feel like we've leaned into this. Is, like we can, this is good. This is helpful for you. You can almost think about this as a something that you cling to or clings to you in a way that will work. So life raft, right? Life jacket, something that is going to save you, something that's going to protect you, is going to keep you. So then, should we, should we assume that this writing to them again for the command of doing what? Like, what are we referring back to? What's the object of all this repetition? It's earlier in verse 1. What's the command? Rejoice, right? So here's our application and personalization at the bottom of page 24. Number one, application, reminders to rejoice are good. Reminders to rejoice are good. I forget a lot of stuff. <laughs> I forget an awful lot of stuff. I need reminders to rejoice. You need reminders to rejoice. We collectively need reminders to rejoice. So what do we do with that? Remind each other to rejoice. This is good. This is helpful. This is one of the reasons there's more than one of us. 
So number one, reminders to rejoice are good, to remind each other to rejoice. And then the beginning of verse two, watch out. It's a plural present active imperative, another group order here. How many times does that word, watch out, blepo, show up in that verse? In that verse, how many times does it show up? That would be a lot, yeah. That's, that's like modern day uh, praise songs, right? <laughs> Three, yes, it's exactly right. So, so my second application, and I'll stop here, is reminders to watch out are good. Because that's what Paul... He demonstrates for us here this reminder to watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. But the order matters, my friends. <laughs> we rejoice first. We get fixed on what the object of our rejoicing is in. We get consumed with the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spectacular thing that is the gospel. And then we transition to watch out. Be very careful about getting those things mixed up. Because when our identity is caught up in an attitude of watch out first, that comes across very distinctly differently than rejoice first. Right? So, reminders to watch out are good, so remind each other to watch out. I told Amy, I thought I could get through watch out. Like, I thought I could. So, I'm very excited. 47 PowerPoint slides later. All right, good. So, Lord willing, Amy V will be here next week. So bring your friends, bring your family, bring your mama, because um, she'll be a blessing. And guys, remember, seven-day heads up. Mother's Day is coming. Mother's Day is coming. Mother's Day is coming. Reminders to not forget Mother's Day are good, so remind each other to not forget Mother's... No, sorry, that would be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch out if you do. <laughs> Rejoice if you don't, but watch out if you do. There you go. All right. Uh, this is run off the rails now. Okay. So at your tables, you should have a weekly update. So if you would, um, uh, be in prayer for these items. Uh, one thing, if we could add, uh, if everybody could add to this week, is uh, Miss uh, Colleen uh, Barron's brother passed yesterday. And uh, this is a lot of loss. I mean, this is like the Johnson's level of loss at this point, like all these folks in the family. Um, so you reach out to her and just give her an encouraging word this week. Uh, maybe drop and say, hey, do you, is there anything we can do? I would love to just shower her with love and affection and tell her we're praying for her and love her. Because um, this is a lot. This is a lot. So, all right, once you have uh, leaned in, prayed as a table, you are free to go and to worship this one and celebrate the goodness and the grandeur and the beauty of the gospel because we need it, we need it, we need it, and it is help. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming today. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.